Well, hello, hello, ladies and gents. It's good to see you again, and welcome back to Your Money and a Cup of Joe. I'm Ryan Ruff, your moderator, and as always, I'll be joined by my right-hand man, Joe Kaleo of the Kaleo Wealth Management Group, and we're going to be unpacking another wealth management topic as we typically do here on the show today, but it's that time of the year, folks. We are jumping in here now to quarter one of 2024 as we sit down to record today's episode, so... It's time for another market recap. We're going to be recapping not only Q4 that wrapped up 2023, but of course, we're going to look back at the year as a whole in terms of 2023, because there's a lot of interesting takeaways that Joe and the team have been noticing. So with that, let's go ahead and bring Joe out. Joe, good to see you today. How are you doing? Ryan, doing great. Happy New Year. Good to see and hear from everybody. We're excited about today's episode. We've got a lot to cover, Ryan. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff here, Joe. Happy New Year to you and the team as well. Uh, let's, let's start by just acknowledging, you know, Hey, Q3, Q4 and the year as a whole was a very up and down year in a lot of different ways in your eyes from a broad scale. How how do we finish? Yeah, we finished strong when you look at the full year, but we were down big. You remember after the third quarter in almost every way, government bonds, bonds in general, bonds were down for the year at that point. We don't cover bonds a lot. We're going to talk about that. Stocks were down for the most part or in many areas for the quarter, not quite for the year. Big rally in the fourth quarter. And the fourth quarter is often the best quarter to see performance. But let's go through this, Ryan. So let's go back to bonds for a second, right? They had beaten up, been beaten up the prior two years, 21 and 22. And then in 23, third quarter, government bonds, long-term government bonds were down 13% in the third quarter alone. Then they rallied 12.9 in the fourth quarter. They finished up for the year. Most bonds were down in the third quarter. Most bonds were up in the fourth quarter. And they were up more in the fourth quarter than any other time of the year. It's rare to see them rally that much, but they did. Why? The Federal Reserve talked about potentially halting rate hikes for a period of time. That gave legs to the bond market, and they rallied. Investment-grade corporate bonds, high-yield corporate bonds, municipal bonds, all up 7% or more in the fourth quarter alone. All were up 6% or more for the year. So bonds rallied and strongly for the fourth quarter and for the year. Stocks, on the other hand, Ryan, they also did well. Large growth stocks were the leader all year long. They were down slightly in the third quarter, which is often the weakest quarter for stocks. The large growth category up over 14% in the fourth quarter, finishing up over 42% for the year. We'll explain more why that was the case here in a little bit. But even large value stocks, they were up 9.5% in the fourth quarter, up over 11 for the year. There was an imbalance as to where the markets were making money and where they weren't. Some were big out gainers, some not as much. We're going to talk about that. But for the most part, across the board, stocks were up roughly 10% or more in most areas for the quarter, and most were up similar amounts or more for the year. So it was a good quarter, and it did make it for a good year. Love to hear that, Joe. And that's always encouraging, especially as you know we look back and and then think about looking forward. But before we start looking forward, let's talk about the events. You know, because obviously events happen; they influence the market's fluctuation. So, were there any big, large events that happened in 2023 that uh, are worth recapping, worth noting, and and how they changed the market? 
Yeah, the year started off with high payroll increases, right? People were getting hired back. We were still coming out of COVID. And that reopening activity just just high, made companies go out and hire people. And as that happened, the Fed was concerned about raising or having inflation, and they raised rates to do that. Well, as they did that, you may remember then in the spring, there was a rash on regional banks and Silicon Valley Bank was shut down by regulators. That happened in March. That continued. Consumer price index continued to be remainingly high and hot in April. So the Fed was still concerned with fighting inflation and rising interest rates were still a concern. It continued right on into July where the year-over-year -year consumer price index was up at 3%. Then all of a sudden, that's a two-year low. Now all of a sudden, the Fed says, hey, maybe we're closer to our targets of where we wanted to be after all. So maybe we can start pausing or not raise rates nearly as quick, which was great. But we had to wait till November 1st when the Fed then came back in and said, hey, we might not have to increase rates nearly as much. We, these rate hikes could be over. And with that, the market really began to take off for both stocks and bonds, as we just shared the numbers with you, and things really began to improve. So then you had mentioned in there, Joe, that interest rates, they were a big, big talk this past year, constantly rising. It really, they've been rising the last two years. How have people's portfolios been recovering as a result of those rising interest rates? Yeah, Ryan, that's a key question because what happens here is people think, why are we spending so much time looking back, right? Right now, aren't we looking forward? Yes, we will in a second. But if you look back, you understand what's different this time versus in the past and how is it different for going forward? This was the worst bond market in our history over the prior two years going into 23 and prior to the fourth quarter of 23. So those folks who are close to retirement or have a lot in bonds, they've been hurt and they may still be recovering. Bond, bond portfolios, bond heavy portfolios are still recovering. This is the longest recovery that they've had to experience in probably 160 years. That's a long time. It's the worst in our lifetimes. I wasn't around then. I know you weren't either, right? And so people have to understand it. Now, it doesn't mean they can't recover. They will, but it's just taking longer than what they're used to. All right. Good to know there, Joe. But then back to the interest rates, what are we expecting from these? Because I know there's a lot of talk, a lot of opinions What's the market forecasting on where interest rates might go this year in 2024? Yeah, so let's talk about yield curve and being inverted. What does that mean? The short end of the yield curve is higher than the long end. And for most of last year, it was inverted with the expectation that the economy was going to slow and the Fed was going to start cutting rates or stop raising rates. They never stopped. They never cut and they never stopped raising until very late in the year. Now that yield curve is forecasting that rates are going to drop even further this year because of a slowdown in the economy. We're starting to see some things slow down and other things continue to be abnormally or stubbornly high. But those rate cuts are forecasting that interest rates will move down later this year. That's important. That will help the bond market and it could help stocks, but we'll talk about that in a minute. 
Sure, sure. So if we're looking then back towards stocks for a moment, Joe, how would you say the average stock compared to maybe the higher performers as a whole? Yeah, it's interesting that you asked that because for the most part, there was the magnificent seven, seven stocks that led the market significantly higher last year, right? And they're names that we know and we won't belabor that point. Stocks in general, the average stock did not do all that well until very late in the year. In fact, small caps really struggled until very late in the year. So the broad stock and stock market as a whole lagged the Magnificent Seven. That may continue, but we start to see some more catch up as well. Joe, you mentioned small cap stocks earlier. Let's let's get into them a little bit. How do they look going forward and, and what are your thoughts here? Yeah, let's define small cap, Ryan, generally under $2 billion in capitalization or size of company and less, right? And they are trading at historically low levels. So it's something that we don't talk about nearly as much. You have to go back to the late 90s or early 2000s to see small cap stocks all of a sudden start trading at this level. And then for the next few years, they really did rally. So there could be an opportunity here to look and capture value in small caps. Okay, there we go. Good to know. Joe, we focus so much on you know our current stock market here in our country, in the United States, but it's a big world. There's a lot going on out there. So let's talk about the international markets. Any opportunities out there? Yes, U.S. stocks are still the most expensive relative to even U.S. history. So there are good potential stocks in the U.S. I'm not saying sell everything in the U.S. and do everything internationally, not by far. And most people have what they call home country bias, meaning they're going to invest in most of their stocks in their home country. But there's also opportunities elsewhere, and you can see that. And in fact, one of the areas that we've been in is part of Asia over the past couple of years. It's worked out very well. I understand people have some concerns for parts of Asia. We won't get into country by country specifics, but there are opportunities internationally on a valuation basis that says, hey, taking a look at things internationally can look very good and should, especially if there's a correction in the U.S., there could be opportunities to invest internationally. Mm, good to know. We'll put that one in the back pocket for now. Uh, Joe, we're coming off this big run up here in 2023. I would imagine that lends itself to, you know, you and your team having conversations maybe with clients or just folks out there at large having the question of do could the mark could there be a pullback? You know, we just had a big year. Would there be a pullback? What what say you here? Yeah. A lot of the questions I have from clients going into 2023 was aren't we due for a pullback? On average, the market only pulls back once every four years, and usually the third and the fourth year of a presidential cycle are good, not bad. So it normally comes in the first two years of a presidential cycle, which is what we had, right? Now, let's talk about we had a successful 23. Does that mean we're due for a pullback again? No. In fact, statistically, the odds are you have good follow-through. It may not be as big as large an increase to the upside historically, but there's still generally good follow through. So the average is when you have a year like that, that you're up over 10% in the follow through year. The frequency of losses are only one out of three, right? But the possibility of increasing is even higher. The risks are generally lower, that standard deviation that measures that volatility. 
That's generally lower, but that risk to the upside or the opportunity of the upside is actually better. Okay, good to know. Good to know. So, Joe, we've been talking a lot about stocks, bonds, the market as a whole. Let's talk about the economy as a whole now, uh, specifically, you know, labor market, so on and so forth. What did you see here specifically in Q4 of 2023? Any changes? That's one of the key things, Ryan, that the Federal Reserve kept talking about, that they wanted to monitor and really see changes. They wanted to see the labor market gets softer, if not weaker. They wanted to see unemployment rise to show a meaningful slowdown in the economy. And one of the things that they also monitor then is the participation rate. The number of folks that are either in the workforce or looking for jobs overall and seeing that change. Well, it's been interesting because we've seen the labor market continue to generally add jobs, generally not as quite as much as what they had wanted. So we saw some softening. And the unemployment rate holding at 3.7. But ironically, as we've gone into this year, we're starting to see that labor rate uh, improve, ironically, again. So the softening is kind of the two steps down, one step up approach, if you will. And I know the Fed's going to keep watching that. The other thing that they were also talking about is inflation. And so while inflation has also come down, and that's been a positive overall for everyone, both the Federal Reserve and just people in general, right? The folks that are out spending goods, headline CPI, the Consumer Price Index, has continued to drop 3.1% year over year. But it's that core CPI that still bothers the Fed, and it's at 4%. If that continues to remain high, their idea of potentially raising rates may still be on the table. And they said so in November as well. So the expectations that rates will come down has increased, but they haven't said with absolute certainty that it's going to happen. So it is something that we're watching, something we're going to watch Mr. Powell and the Fed chairman as to what he wants to do. He'd like to just keep things on pause and let it be data specific. I know a lot of people are rooting for rate cuts, but don't rule out the possibility of rate increases this year as well. No, this is great stuff, Joe. Appreciate the insight. And and let's turn our focus now back to the market as a whole. Uh, I know we had talked earlier about a lot of the asset classes is really rallying, rallying that is in the fourth quarter, but there were two areas I know in specific that you wanted to double click on. What are those two? Yeah, one is real estate, one that was surprising for us, ironically, right? So much of the commercial real estate area subsector has been hurt because as people are working from home more often, there's less rental space needed for office space, service space. So real estate has been hurt, but yet real estate as a whole rallied in the fourth quarter and was very positive for the year. So that was one to the upside that surprised us. The other commodities to the downside. After two years of double digit returns, broad commodity indices actually saw some negative returns last year. Commodities generally do well in an inflationary or rising interest rate environment. So to see them come down last year was a little bit of a surprise and it's something we're watching going into 24. Love that, Joe. Well, let's let's turn our head to a big focus of, of 2024. It's been a hot topic of late in just about every industry, and that is AI. Talk to me about your thoughts on AI, how it's already made its, you know, it's left its mark on the markets and what you see it doing potentially moving into 2024 here. 
Ryan, it was the central issue in 2023, right? The Magnificent Seven around AI. And there's a lot to understand and unpack on AI. We will do a specific podcast on that coming up in the future. How's that for a mid-session tease, right? But it, understanding AI is important and offering enough support to more than offset the headwind from the still tough IT spending backdrop is what powered AI higher still. So what are we seeing? In our view, investors could definitely benefit from the most at this point from a more thorough understanding of customer and user spending intentions on AI going into 24. And to supplement that, what we're hearing from tech firms themselves. So the research team recently leveraged some evidence lab data that said specifically what's happening. We want to understand what's going on. So the adoption and spend rates is what we looked into, right? And the good news is from the survey that nearly 100% of respondents are in the investigation and possible use discovery stage. So that really speaks to the potential for a solid 2024 and 25 adoption. Long lead time, right? But this is how markets develop. The bad news, Ryan, is that just 6% of those respondents are actually in production and a year after AI actually hit, and just 39 have moved past 39% have moved past the proof of concept stage. So no one's not not nearly enough are actively deploying it yet, but it's coming. So it's early, right? That's it, it, we are in a very early sense of all this. But 70% of the respondents, Ryan said, in the next six to 12 months, they will most likely have a go live time frame. So that means in the second half of 24, production's going to ramp up and adoption's going to ramp up. That's a lot. That's surprising for a lot of people. AI's already in there, right? We're using AI today with like facial recognition or online shopping. We're being influenced by AI. We'll talk about that as we mentioned. But yes, it's happening and adoption is increasing and it's going to be the biggest part of our economy most likely over the next five to 10 years. All righty, let's stay with tech here. I mean, yes, AI is a massive conversation right now. Let's stay in the tech realm, if we will. Let's talk about the semiconductors and how they might have an impact on 24. What do you see here? Yep. So semiconductors are both in AI as well as tech in general, right? And they struggled two years ago, rallied big last year. And so we're starting to see the overall sentiment remain bullish going into 2024. Many investors were clearly uh, caught off guard with the late cycle move last year, up 9% late in 2023. So most of the conversations have kind of focused still around AI, but also say 5G and some other areas within technology. And who are the big players? We're seeing some of those players emerge, both in semiconductors as well as in software of who's going to be the leaders in AI. So we're starting to see that develop and we're going to see that continue. So tech looks good. Semiconductors generally look good. All right. And let's turn our head now to one of the big topics that's usually coming right out of the, you know, a typical Q4, and that's retail. Everybody's out shopping, getting ready for the holidays. Talk to me about softline retail. What do you see here? Yep. Ryan, it's interesting, right? Because ironically, AI software is the fastest growing area to help retailers. So people, if they're shopping at site A and company B is just like company A, having some software that 
promotes other similar companies is a big area. But the concern is then if if interest rates, which we've talked about earlier, are coming down, why? People are pulling back. Inflation is going to start sharpening the pencils on home budgets. And if home budgets are getting a little tighter, retail is the place that we expect that to happen. So the rate of change of soft sales or soft line retail sales growth is coming down. So that's what we're looking for at the beginning part of this year. We want to see what happens there. Okay, flipping gears now over towards at home, if you will, home improvement, home furnishings. What do we see on this front, Joe? Ryan, one of the things that we've seen happen throughout the year was existing home sales were not nearly as robust with rising interest rates. And the trickle-down effect has been in both home improvement. Home improvement sales were down 2.5% year over year in just November alone. And so that annual growth rate is not as robust as what it's been in past. Home furnishings down 7.5% late last year. So we're starting to see home furnishings and home improvements diminish. We think that continues over time. Okay, good to know. Uh, let's. I, I want to now turn focus towards a topic you and I talked about in our last market recap that seemed to be doing well, and that's the leisure category. Specifically, we talked about cruise ships, so I want to have you double-click there. But anything else that uh, you have and the research team has dug up in regards to uh, the leisure sector? Yeah, also lodging, right? We talked about both hotels and cruise ships. And right, one of the things that people were doing, still are doing, is if they're traveling for work and they have to be there on Thursday, they might extend that on Friday and into the weekend. And so that's helped to actually buoy some hotel travel. Hotel travel has recovered nicely for the most part, and now we're starting to see it at the upper end of the economic scale. So it was the lower and middle end of business scale that travel was picking up faster, but the higher upscale end of hotel travel, not as quick. Now, ironically, in the fourth quarter, that's picked up. So that's giving a boost to some of the hotel stocks. Rev par, revenue per average, that's what's gone up tremendously, up 43% versus the same week in 2019 versus 2023. So those numbers have increased dramatically in the fourth corner. Luxury rev par up 33%. So we're starting to see that. And the year-over-year -year business travel, very much picking up in the fourth quarter. So that's, that's a positive. We are starting to see hotel build-outs beginning to increase again. We monitor a couple of units here. Some of them were saying, yes, we're going to build out. Now they're starting to say, yes, a little bit more robust build out coming up in the, in the future. So leisure lodging is beginning to show signs of strength post-COVID. Going back to cruise lines, Ryan, last quarter we talked about, they may not order new cruise ships for several years. Well, it's been so, so robust of people booking cruises they're now going to start ordering new ships in 2024. We thought it might be 2027. No, it's going to be 2024. So leisure is picking up. People aren't spending as much on the day-to-day, -day, but they still want to spend when they travel for fun or for work. Good to know. Appreciate that high level on leisure there, Joe. Let's pivot now to energy. What's our outlook here for 2024 with energy and regard to any uh, you know, rates of change that we're seeing? 
Yeah, Ryan, we're seeing it to be a more balanced risk and reward for energy entering 2024, right? Last couple of years have been good. They've really been robust. There was a big drop off when COVID hit because people were staying home. They weren't traveling. We just talked about travel. They weren't traveling as much. They weren't on the road as much. People are getting back in the office a little bit more. They're traveling for fun on weekends a little bit more. And then energy recovered. We think that risk reward for energy may not be nearly as good going forward. So it would still be good, but not quite. The rate of change, if you will, in energy may not be as high as what we've seen in the past. Already good to know. So, Joe, as we're bringing our conversation to a head and we're truly setting the scene on what we believe 2024 is going to look like, give me your preview, if you will. What uh, what are some high level takeaways and some things we should keep in our eyes on? Yep, Ryan, I think certainly as we've talked about, technology is still a place to be and to look at. We think that's going to be a positive, right? Semiconductors, software, electronics, all could have positives, right? As we look at that. Housing, construction, still likely to be good going into this year. We think that's a positive. So keep your mind, keep your eye on that. Ryan, one thing we haven't talked about, and we do think it's important, are financials, right? And we think they're generally fairly valued overall. You want to be selective, though, in the subsectors. And that's something we're going to look at, especially when it looks at the price to tangible book value. Maybe fair overall, but the PE is below where it's been historically on financials. And so we think there could be some opportunities here. All righty. Fantastic, Joe. And as we're looking kind of as a, a total outlook in terms of the fundamentals, uh, any final thoughts uh, with regard to 24 that you want to leave uh, our audience with before we wrap up today's discussion? I think one of the things, reminder, right, we're in an election year. Election years are generally good. The Fed tries to stay out of the election cycle, if you will, but they're still going to be mindful of what they need to do with interest rates. So we remain positive on a longer cycle stimulus funded and structural growth opportunities. So we see stocks that have maybe lagged in 23, might be a little bit better in 24. That may mean engineering and construction sector and some of the bigger underperformers in 23, they could see more of the upside in 2024. So these are all things that we're looking at. I'd say watch what the Fed is doing with interest rates. It'll influence your overall portfolio. We'd be happy to have a conversation if they need some help or a second opinion. Perfect. I was just going to ask that, Joe. You know, we've thrown a lot at our audience today by way of what they can look out for in 24, what we saw in 23. If they think they'd benefit from a conversation with you and your team, what is the best way they could uh, get in touch with you guys? Yeah, I would say give us a call, shoot us an email, right? We're happy to have a conversation, look over what they've done and how they do it. And we can uh, we can talk about this and mine the Fed, right? And we'll mine the balance sheet. <laughs> Roger that, Joe. Well, look, I uh, appreciate you carving some time out of your busy day and uh, we'll let you get back to serving your clients best, but uh, looking forward to being on the next one with you. Thanks, Ryan. Cheers. Cheers indeed, Joe. And folks, we want to take a final second here to thank you all for being with us and spending some time here on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion and the market recap of Q4 of 2023, and of course the outlook as we move into 2024, make sure you hit the subscribe button then on whichever platform you did check us out on today so you don't miss out on great conversations like these. Today was one of our quarterly market recaps. We'll be diving into another wealth management topic specifically in our next episode. And by subscribing, make sure you don't miss out on that. Before Joe, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long now, but we appreciate you stopping by and being with us on Your Money, A Cup of Joe.
This presentation is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed may not be those of UBS Financial Services Incorporated. UBS Financial Services Incorporated does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the information presented. This material is made available for use by CEG. Neither UBS Financial Services Incorporated nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services Incorporated offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC registered broker dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services Incorporated is a subsidiary of UBS AEG, member FINRA, member SIPC. Joe Kaleo at Kaleo Wealth Management Group, UBS Financial Services Incorporated. Office address 200 West Highway 6, Suite 400 in Waco, Texas, 76712.